This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne, and this is Safe Space, a live forum for courageous conversation. Tonight's topic is about sexual healing for survivors of sexual abuse. Because this show is often about subjects that are hard to talk about, it can also be subjects that are hard to hear about. So parental discretion is strongly advised for tonight's show. My guest is Wendy Maltz. She's a licensed clinical social worker, a marriage counselor, and also a certified sex therapist in private practice in Eugene, Oregon. She's the author of several books. The one we're going to be talking about most tonight is The Sexual Healing Journey, A Guide for Survivors of Sexual Abuse. But her most recent book is actually called The Porn Trap, The Essential Guide to Overcoming Problems Caused by Pornography. She's also the, uh, she's the anthologizer of two books of poetry about sexual love, kind of trying to offer a really healing, heartfelt um, vision of sexuality. And those books are called Passionate Hearts and Intimate Kisses. And lastly, she's the author of a book on women's sexual fantasies called Private Thoughts. Wendy Maltz, it is my honor to have you as my guest on Safe Space. Well, I'm very pleased to be here, Anne. I want to start out by um, just learning a little bit more about you. I know that you have some personal connection to this subject, and I wondered if you'd tell us a little bit about how you came to this subject yourself. Well, back in the late 1970s, I was in Berkeley, California. I got a degree as a, a in social welfare, clinical social work, and I was studying to be a psychotherapist, and I got interested in the field of sex therapy. I was doing educational work in the schools with kids and doing some sex education work, and I just saw a connection between people learning and feeling better about themselves, uh, understanding sexuality, and and being able to have good self-esteem. And um, over the years, and I studied to become a sex therapist, and I noticed that there was a certain population of people who had really a hard time with the traditional sex therapy exercises. They either wouldn't do them, or when they did them, they'd like do them with their clothes on instead of the ones that were supposed to be done with their clothes off. And I realized that, that uh, it was very challenging for people who had histories of sexual abuse to get help for sex problems and their needs hadn't been addressed. So I started doing a lot of research in this area and I first wrote the book uh, Incest and Sexuality, A Guide to Healing and Understanding. It was so strange back then to write a book on uh, sexual abuse and sexuality that uh, I remember one of my children's teachers thinking I had written a book on insects and sexuality <laughs> and thought I was an entomologist, you know. I had to explain, no, really, you know, um, because back then people weren't looking at the crossover. Uh, so I, I ended up doing another book, the one we'll be talking about, The Sexual Healing Journey, uh, that has lots of exercises for healing in it. And it was while I was writing that book that I started dealing with my own sexual abuse history and having been the uh, survivor of some um, covert slash overt um, inappropriate sexual touch by an older male relative. And then also I, I was a victim of date rape in college. And so I had those, those events and issues started coming up, and I hadn't really made that connection between that, hey, 
I'm a survivor of sexual abuse. I had sort of blamed myself for what happened in the date rape, and I hadn't really seen what had happened with the older male relative as abuse until I started looking at definitions of abuse and realizing, you know, that there was uh, a domination and exploitation based on sexual activity that was going on there and that I didn't have choice and I was too young and things like this. Um, so I I had personal interest and um, the, the repercussions of sexual abuse were affecting my marriage. I, I've been married for over... 30 years to a wonderful guy, Larry, and Larry Maltz. And, um, you know, for a while back then, we were going through our issues around um, the sexual repercussions of sexual abuse because I was getting triggered right and left doing all this research and writing. I can imagine. I mean, even reading the book, there there are, of course, um, you know, many personal anecdotes in there, which are very powerful, but there are, in some ways, many repeated stories about sexual abuse. And as a reader, it can be very intense. Yeah, I, I imagine for you, yeah. being immersed in it, it must have been very powerful. It was. I tried to, with the book, I didn't want to write a book where people were going to get triggered a lot. I only wanted to share as much about, like, someone I had interviewed story that would be helpful to the reader, but I wasn't into giving lots of detail. You know, yeah. I want to move on, keep the book moving with healing, and I think it does that. Yes, it, it does. So what part of what I'm struck by is that it sounds like the process of writing the book was actually helpful to you also. <laughs> yeah. Like, when I got to the part about the relearning touch exercises, um, I'm, I, I developed a series of exercises, you know, to help um, survivors and their partners to relearn touch in a way that feels safe and within their control. And I, I said to Larry, I said, hey, you know, I think maybe the two of us should do some of these. Yeah. You know, I've been working with clients with them and know that they were helpful. But uh, And uh, I was really shocked to find that there, some of the simple ones were, were challenging to me for a while. And I, could, I got a sense firsthand of, you know, what I was asking of, of my clients and uh, other people. but Isn't that but, wonderful, though? There's yeah. so much integrity in that, I think, that you're willing to experience it on both sides. Uh, the, the positive news is it was really helpful to us, and we did our healing. And, you know, it's fu- funny because at this stage, which is, what, a couple decades later or something, you know, um, or uh, 15 years later or something, uh, um, looking back, you know, I, I, I know I had... I was really, at the time, really immersed in my own uh, reactions and healing, but now it's sort of like, oh, yeah, there was a time when I thought of sex in that negative way. Or, you know what I mean? Isn't that, well, that's so hopeful to hear, yeah. though, Wendy, because that, that's one of my questions is, you know, your book, it begins with this sexual inventory where you help people link, look at the ways that sexual abuse has impacted their relationship to sex. And it, it's, it's very powerful and to look at how pervasive, how deeply influencing, how people can really think about sex as if it was sexual abuse. Yeah. And so it can feel like, like wow, how much healing is really possible. It feels so deep and so pervasive. And so maybe we could, that was where I was going to end, but maybe we're here already with this question. Because you're sounding like it's so possible that you even start to forget that you even thought about it that way. And experienced it differently, right? You, 
it, it's kind of like you close the file on what happened in the past and you open a new file, which is where you uh, have put in experiences where you feel safe and control, respected, and, and sex is fun. You're approaching things slowly. You've got consent. And um, and where you you start experiencing a meaningfulness and an intimacy that's very satisfying uh, along with the physical pleasures and being able to have a different kind of orientation to your own body and, and your partner's uh, body, too. And you put those, you know, you do it really progressively, starting with very simple things that aren't all that, aren't really sexual to start with. And you just put in these new experiences and you very slowly can build up a new kind of uh, associations with what uh, touch and sex is. Um, so what are maybe yeah. what would be some examples of that? When you say you start with some really simple things, maybe you could describe one or two of those relearning touch exercises. Um, being able to uh, well ex- feel a partner. Let's see, just being held by your partner and being able to breathe uh, in a relaxed manner being able to um, relax your whole body, being able to communicate what you're feeling and needing. Because one of the things in abuse, people lose their voice. They, they have no voice. And even if they speak up, they're, they're ignored or overridden. Um, so being able to talk about what you're really experiencing, um, be, being able to have touch learn and experience touch just with real simple things, maybe even just, you know, identifying a part of your body that you feel okay with your partner touching and, and asking your partner to touch that part for um, just a few seconds and communicating a certain type of feeling like, you know, would you touch my shoulder or rub my shoulder in a loving and caring way? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the partner doing that touch and really breathing and relaxing and just experiencing and taking in the love and caring that the partner has to give through touch. It's very simple, just kind of learning these basic skills. It's like uh, people think that they can, uh, a lot of survivors think they can maybe uh, uh, avoid having to do some physical steps, like all you need to do is talk with a therapist about the fact you were abused or what happened, but that doesn't cure the sexual problems or these touch associations. It really needs to be a combination of um, really taking a look at, at things like what happened along with some, when it feels right and when you feel ready, along with some steps to actually start re-experiencing touch in new ways. And even single survivors, there are exercises that they can do, even if you don't have a partner now, um, of feeling more comfortable with your, in, in your own skin, mm. really. The example that you gave a minute ago about lying, you know, holding each other and talking about what you're really feeling live in that moment, mm-hmm. part of what, you know, part of what I've heard is that sexual abuse survivors can often be silent all over again in the present because they're afraid that if they were to share with their partner 
how fearful they were really feeling in that moment or revulsed or, you know, terrified that they would wreck the other person's pleasure. And so they keep quiet and then there's this sort of horrible repetition that happens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Where they're in their own world and they feel isolated and abandoned. Terribly alone all over again. Yeah. Um, And that really brings up the the importance of partners of survivors getting on board with really understanding about what sexual abuse is, how it affects a person, and how it affects their on an intimate level, and how partners can be helpful. Because when when the partner and the, and the survivor work together as a team, it's amazing what they can accomplish. Um, like, for instance, one of the relearning touch exercises that Larry and I did um, back when I was working on the book was the first one, which is just, it's like a hand clapping when you sit cross-legged on the floor facing each other, and you, uh, you know, teach your partner, the survivor teaches the partner a hand clapping routine. It sounds like something you do in grade school, right? Right, like Miss Mary Mac, Mac, Mac. Yeah, yeah, and the whole <laughs> yes. idea is to have fun, but you are working on things like breathing and relaxing, being present and communicating and having fun. Well... Larry sat down across from me, and he's like six feet, and I'm like five, six, or whatever. And the way we were sitting, I got re- he put his hands up, and I got re-triggered to the date rape. Great, right? Mm-hmm. You know, oh, no, this is the first one we're doing. And I'm flashbacked yeah. into this date rape because his arms are big, and he had his arms up. And I don't know what was going on, but um, so I said, honey, I'm having a reaction and um, we've talked about it together, and he said, well, would it help, since I'm bigger than you, would it help if you sat on a pillow? And then our, we would be more, you know, like our eyes be a little bit more level with each other. So he, so I sat on a pillow, and, you know, it did help. I found myself feeling stronger and more mature. Mm-hmm. And then he said, well, try another pillow. And I started to wobble a little <laughs> the second one, you know. It's like if one was good, two would be even better, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, I just stayed with the one pillow, and we were able to do the exercise and have fun with it eventually, you know. So. It's a wonderful story because it, it really points to the importance of equality and safety. And communication and the partner knowing that, like, not taking the reaction personally. Like, if he had said, well, why can't you just sit there and do a hand clapping exercise with me? You know, what's wrong with you? Or don't you realize I'm safe? You know, if he had had that kind of attitude, it wouldn't have worked in terms of the healing. But both of us going, okay, we understand these reactions are normal. They're a normal repercussion from uh, trauma. And we're going to work together and put our heads together and our creativity together and finding a way to deal with it. It's really very moving, Wendy. I mean, as simple as it sounds, it actually sounds very powerful as I picture you there. <laughs> Getting triggered and, and actually being able to meet that fear with this creative response that really changed it. Yeah, and he was great during that time. He just said, look, we are not having sex unless you really feel ready for it. We're just not. I don't want to have sex with you unless you feel ready. And, you know, and it was like, oh, that's really interesting, you know. And then, you know, if, as a survivor, you can, when the, when the partner gets it and they're able to, it doesn't mean you, you stop touch and 
and all the relearning touch exercises are a wonderful bridge, but it's just like you just don't rush things. Yes, going slowly seems to be, it's also so counter to the abuse to go to really slowly. Yeah. 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 Um, You know, one of the things that you describe in your book is taking a vacation from sex, that Mm -hmm. often survivors need to do what Larry, in fact, proposed that you do. (laughs) Um, And how, how difficult that can be actually for both. It can be so helpful on the one hand, maybe even so necessary, but so difficult for maybe for the survivor to feel like they're depriving their partner, to feel guilty, to feel, you know, enormous pressure to get to hurry up. Yeah, and it was really hard on him. It was hard on both of us, actually. But um, by doing it, it created a foundation of really deep trust and mutual understanding. Um, It doesn't work if the survivor just says, okay, this is great, now I don't have to have sex, you know, and they sort of give up on it. They stop doing any healing work, you know. Uh, That doesn't seem to work. But when the survivor's committed to moving forward with uh, discovering some new ways to approach touch and the partner's aware that the survivor is committed in that fashion, then it can work. The partners seem to be able to calm down and 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 be um, and work together with the survivor. And then well, they also kind of get it. It's sort of like wow, like there's a magic pen exercise where you're you're moving a pen around uh, the survivors and the partners holding on to the other end of the pen. And and you know, like I've had uh, in. Uh, in my counseling work, partners have said, wow, I get it now. If she's unable to tell me to let go of the pen or to hold on to the pen or to move the pen, how could she possibly have sex with me? Mm. You know, if she's she de- if she's ha- has difficulty with just, um, you know, controlling me while she's moving a pen through the air. Right, it really kind of puts it into bold relief. Like it really makes it clearer in a certain it way. It does. And I have a, a video um, that's in DVD form called Relearning Touch. It's on my website, healthysex.com. You can learn more about it. But that video shows uh, several couples going through these um, Relearning Touch exercises. They're non sexual, you won't see any nudity in it. Um, but it it shows the couples, and these are real couples who struggled with these um, and overcame problems with the uh, uh, touch due to past sexual abuse. So you hear how the exercises, um, you know, have been helpful, and you see what they look like for those people who are interested. They're also described in the book, The Sexual Healing Journey. There's a whole chapter on relearning touch. When, how do you help people know when they're ready to to move out of the the vacation from sex? I mean, if they're if the survivors actively use that time to um, work on healing, and they've been doing some of these relearning touch, how does a how does a couple know when it's safe to venture back into those waters? Well, when there's a, a, when the survivor has a, a sense that starts to feel curious about experiencing something more sensual, um, where there is really good communication, where they can do kind of uh, start and stop kind of, uh, you know, checking in behavior. They've already gotten accustomed to that from the exercises. So it's 
it's where they feel that they can they have good enough communication to approach things slowly and um and also change what they need to change so let's say um uh a couple did a lot of exercises in the shower with touch and those went really well and then they want to repeat the exercises of of touching each other's bodies that they did in the shower in the bed and they and they can start doing that and integrating it with uh, more with touching special body parts like breasts and genitals as well maybe just for a few seconds to start or or maybe just a a hug with a sending some love energy um it's really backing way up from the idea of picturing sex has to go a certain way and and go a certain distance too it's it's really honoring what what you can do comfortably challenging yourself a little bit but not overwhelming yourself and not doing something that you then uh regret or feel resentment about you you recommend in your book uh, writing an agreement together also as a possible transition to back to being sexual and you you offer a draft on your website too of a potential agreement you know where you both agree to not have sex for the sake of the other if if in fact the survivor doesn't want it for herself and that felt like a really challenging thing i think so often survivors either feel obligated uh, if they're in a long, if they're married, say, or in a long-term relationship, they feel like their partner has gone, waited so long. So this idea that the survivor um, really not have sex unless they want it for themselves, and that both people agree to that, felt very, very important, but also perhaps hard to arrive there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's sort of a balance because part of you can want it, and part of you can feel like I'm uh, not ready. So. Uh, I, I really do think that the touch exercises help to smooth that transition mm-hmm. really well because when you have that sense of confidence that your partner is empathizes and understands what you're going through, it's much easier to then be sexual with that partner because you can say, oh, honey, I'm having a reaction or could we switch positions or, you know, or I could you touch another part of my body, that part of my body I'm getting triggered with? And there's a whole series like on dealing with automatic reactions to touch, a, a, a series of steps you can take of stopping, becoming aware you're having a negative reaction to touch, a calming yourself, um, and coming up with uh, affirming your present reality and, and the safety you have in the present and then moving slowly in the way where you alter the behavior so that you it it does feel comfortable people describe this to me a lot you know these automatic whether it's like suddenly freezing or suddenly having flashbacks or or suddenly feeling repulsed mm-hmm. or you know not being able to get like incredibly critical negative thoughts about their partner out of their head um and I was curious you know you give some wonderful examples in the book about how people can sort of try to break that Mm-hmm. Um, I've found in talking to people some about that that it can be that can be really hard to do, and I was curious to hear from you. Have you learned special, you know, particular things that make that easier for people if they if they feel like their mind has been hijacked almost, either by fear or by repulsion? 
how they can shift out of that? Well, um, and there are there are things about reminding yourself that was the then, this is the now. Um, reminding yourself of the safety that exists now, of your maturity, and that you have choice now, and that you can exercise that choice. Um, talking, if you have a partner, talking with the partner, finding out, you know, what it is that sex means to the partner and what the partner wants to be communicating with sex because it's, it's, you know, very different than what goes on with abuse. And abuse, uh, uh, the perpetrator doesn't care what, how the victim's feeling, you know. And they're more, they're out to exploit. They're very self-centered. But when you, when, when um, you know, when couples are discussing together and the partner's talking about what uh, sex means to him, I'm, I, in the therapy sessions, I often hear partners say things like, I just want to love you or I'm attracted to you and, I, and sex is a way of showing my you're the person I want to experience sex with because I care about you and I only want to be with you and things like that. It's often very romantic kind of, mm-hmm. you know, that comes up. And so when the survivor goes, oh, that's where he's coming from. Oh, you know, it, it, they can start separating the present-day partner from the perpetrator in, in a more conscious way. Yes, because I think so often a survivor might hear the desire of their partner and feel like it's almost a wish to hurt them. Right, not, instead not that, of a big compliment or, or, wow, that's fun, or I'm glad you feel it for me, you know. Yes, it seems like a, that's a powerful piece of work. You know, in your book you suggest that working with those kind of beliefs about sex is the first thing. Yeah. But I was kind of curious. It seems like the touch exercises build that experiential you know, new way of relating. Is it possible that it, sometimes relearning touch can help the belief shift too, as much as shifting the belief can create the possibility for touch? Oh, yeah, because people, it's relating with a partner. It's a dance with a partner, and you experience the partner having empathy or working with you as a team to, to uh, you know, help you be comfortable with touch. So it it is... There's not. I mean, it's one thing for an intimate partner to say, "Well, trust me. You know, I'm not going to hurt you." And it's right. another to be engaged in, let's say, some um, mutual uh, chest touching, and the partner to, you know, really show a great sensitivity around that and respect. It's demonstrated. Yes, it becomes much more believable. And it's like, wow, you know, like, you know, he, uh, yes. he really wants to make sure I'm comfortable with this. Wendy, we are going to have to stop in a minute. And I want to just ask you one last thing before we say goodbye, which is, you know, you wrote this book at a time when no one else was as public about this. You And you shared your personal story as well as your professional story. And so curious, what were the things you were most afraid of when you did this, and how did you find the courage to, to go ahead and write it? Well, actually, back in the early, mid, uh, early and mid-'80s, there was, and late-'80s, and there was, a, a, there was a lot coming out about sexual abuse. You had uh, the 
former Miss America, Marilyn Vanderbilt, came out as a survivor of sexual abuse, and she was doing national lecturing. You had, like, uh, I think Ronald Reagan's, one of his sons, Michael, I think, wrote a book about how he had been abused. Different actors and actresses were sharing about it. And, I mean, not a lot, but there was, it was coming out as, like, all of a sudden, as something that was okay to talk about. And initially, at conferences, when I share, I, I, I didn't share about my own abuse history, but as time went on, I started, you know, just saying, hey, this happened to me. It's like, um, you know, realizing that you are not what was done to you, you know, and more people are able to step forward and share that they had these histories, the more as a society we can deal with them and help, help people get help, not only the victims, but also the perpetrators. I mean, we still we still have a very closed mouth society around people who have problems with perpetrating abuse. We do. And on that note, Wendy, I am yeah. going to have to stop. I want to let people know that if they want to find so many resources, that your website is healthysex.com. I recommend it highly. Wendy Maltz, thank you so much for being my guest You're on welcome. Safe Space. My this is Dr. Ann. I've been talking to Wendy Maltz, clinical social worker and certified sex therapist, about sexual healing after sexual abuse. If you'd like to hear this interview in its entirety or email it to a friend or download it from iTunes, please go to www.safespaceradio.com. Coming up next week, I'll be talking to Susan Brisson on her recovery from rape. And coming up now is Allison with Money Talks.